Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. You're on the D Hour Network. This is Marsha Patterson, your host with For Your Health. I just want to wish everyone a happy Sunday. We are in the month of January of 2019. Can you believe it? We are in the new year already, and it's going by really, really fast. And there's a lot of things that are happening in the news and in our government that we just need to be prayed up and taken care of in the spirit realm. So I just want to uh, welcome everyone on board that's listening tonight. just want to remind you that For Your Health with Marsha Patterson is to educate us and take us back to the healthy table, bringing in speakers, people who have the knowledge of healing self from cancer, um, mentally ill people that have used natural food to heal their body. And also, we want to be able to educate people to be self-sustainable and be prepared for anything. And last week, our guest was James Stevenson. He's written a book on natural disaster and how to be prepared for it. But we want to take it a little further back on how many of us used to take care of ourselves. Many of our families and four families, they have farms. So I'm excited to have on board with me tonight Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Turner from Virginia. You're in Grainsville, uh, Virginia, and they own the farm called Vanguard Ranch. Welcome, you guys. Welcome aboard. Good evening. How are you? Thank you for having us here. We are actually in Gordonsville, Virginia. Gordonville. Okay. I stand to be corrected. Thank you. Gordonville. I said Gainesville. Okay. Sorry. Gordonville. Yes. Gordonville, Virginia. Now you said you had some snow up there, huh? Yeah, we had snow. We've got about eight inches on the ground right now. Oh, so that's kind of like sit back, relax, and just chill out for today, huh? Uh, Probably for a couple of days. Yes. <laughs> well, I want to thank you guys for being on the show because one of my mission with yesterday's Kitchen for Today, which is my other business where I educate families on milling fresh wheat into flour, growing your own food, having heirloom seeds, going back to the land. And you and your wife have done exactly that. You are black farmers because there's not that many black farmers in the United States anymore. Tell us about your journey on becoming a farmer. Well, for me, um, I've had an interest in agriculture and farming since my early teens, and I'm, I'm 66 years of age now, so it's been been a minute. Um, we decided to leave the city. The city was Washington, D.C. back in 1977 and pursue our back-to-the-land um, dream, if you will, uh, largely because we were dissatisfied with the way that we saw things going, and we wanted to return to living closer to the land in a, and in a more green and spiritual space. And our opinion was that in order to seek the freedom and the lifestyle that we preferred, we needed to be in a rural space to do that. Um, so my journey and our journey, my wife, Shanette, and myself, has been um, an ongoing learning experience, and it's, it's been wonderful. It has its ups and downs, but it certainly is about liberation, healthy living, having a smaller carbon footprint, and living a more gentle, gentle lifestyle. So in 1977, you had that vision, because you and I, we're about the same age here, 
And 77, you had that vision and said, I don't want no part of the system. And now your wife, uh, Ms. Turner, what's your first name? If you don't mind, Ms. Turner, what's your first name? Jeanette. Jeanette. Okay. Yes. Okay. Now, Jeanette, are you a, have you had some experience with agriculture, or you was a city girl all the way? I was a city girl all the way. And you took on that challenge in 1977. But we, that was fairly young, you know. You're, we're in the young age at that time, and most of the time we were right. busy uh, partying. You know, the 70s, the bell bottoms, the hairdo, all that stuff was in, and you guys decided you go to the country. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We had our share, wow. but we decided that we wanted to do something differently. And, you know, we there was a lot going on in the 70s at the time, but particularly, you know, as African Americans, and we were living in Washington, yes. D.C., there was a lot of turmoil, and it's still consistent, you know, with the times we're living in now. So mm-hmm. not wanting to stay on this treadmill and be in the rat race for the rest of our lives, we determined that the freedom that we were seeking, we can only get by becoming homesteaders. So we decided to become homesteaders. That morphed into becoming farmers and farming. And as we're getting older now, we're morphing back into the homesteader mode because it's just much more comfortable and suits our needs. Wow, wow. Now, so you went straight to Virginia from Washington, or how did you end up in Virginia? Why Virginia? Well, Virginia, we are about 100 miles from Washington, D.C. So at the time that this journey started, um, you know, there was a few other friends of ours, and we decided we wanted to purchase land and start a community. Um, but So we just basically took a compass out and drew a circle within 100 miles of Washington, D.C., because, you know, our financial, uh, we were still financially tied to the city. Um, gotcha. And that's how, we, that's how we came to Virginia. But as it turned out, no one else made the transition um, except my wife and I, and we stayed a number of years on a property that uh, was jointly owned by several people, and then no one came, so we decided to purchase and buy our own place so we could develop it like we wanted, and that's, that's where we are now. So we, we've now been here. how many here. acres of land you on? We purchased 94 acres back in 94, 95, something like that. You know, so we're we're using about 20 of it now, and the rest of it is kept in natural space, so you have a buffer. Um, But we we have no visible neighborhood. We like it like that. Wow. So you built your home out there too. So you have a well. You uh, and did you was the house existing on the land? Or did you build one? Oh, no. No, no, no. There was no house existing on the land. Uh, I actually designed the house, and then we, you know, had it built, you know, financed it with banks and the usual stuff. I was working off the farm, uh, driving about an hour every day for about 25 years or so until I retired from working off the farm in 2006. So this is 2019, Mm. so it's 15 years I haven't worked for anyone else, just, you know, Vanguard Ranch as a farmer. Um, but, yeah, we built the house. There was no road. There was no electricity. There was no well. There was nothing here. It was wilderness. And so we've, you know, um, cleared the land, built the house, put in the well, put in a septic, put in fences, built barns, the whole nine. Put up, Built a greenhouse, put in garden beds. We, we've done a lot of work. Wow. So... I'm I'm just amazed because I'm just amazed. And, you know, 
I'm I'm late. I ca- I'm getting on this train very late, and I was in my 40s when I decided, you know, well, yeah, mid mid 40s that I wanted to. Once my company had downsized us out and going south, I knew this is what I wanted to do. And then when I started learning about genetically modified food and the prices of food and everything else like that, I'm like, hmm, I'm really ready for the country to have the chickens and the goats and things like that. So you have 90 acres. No, You guys have no children, correct? That's correct. So what did your family think? Did they think y'all had lost your mind to be doing something like this, or they kind of support you with this? Um, I think they think we lost our minds. <laughs> you know, I mean, most of them have all spent some time here on the farm, either staying with us or, you know, living with us. Um but I would say that we're the only ones that are agriculturally inclined. But it's not just agriculture. This is a spiritual quest to be free and to live close to the earth. It's not just about a love of farming. It's really about a love of freedom. And farming is just mm. uh, a tool in order to achieve that. It's, you know, you know and then and the bigger picture for us, you know, as African Americans, we've been here 400 plus years. You know, if you buy yeah. the American history, when we've actually been here much longer than that, many of us. But during that time, our circumstance and conditions have not changed dramatically to the good. We still have multiple yeah. issues that we need to address. Um, it's my firm belief that many of those issues are based on our dependency upon others to take care of us. We need to get to mm-hmm. the point where we can control our own food, clothing, and shelter. And so I think living close to the land allows us to do that, and it allows a black man to stand his ground. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree with that. But, you know, I've attended so many of the black farmers' conferences. You do a lot of speaking at a lot of farming events. Is that correct? Yes, yes, that's that's correct. I, I do a lot of uh, public speaking, spoken at most of the 1890 colleges up and down the uh, southeastern seaboard. And, and probably will continue to. I'm in the process of writing a book about um, sustainability um, aimed at the African-American population because there's just not a lot of information out there for brothers and sisters who are seeking to learn how to live off the land. So I am, we are, uh, proponents of agrarianism as a lifestyle choice. And I think that if more of our people would buy land instead of Lexus, and would teach their children, mm-hmm. um, you know, they say that the children now have attention deficit uh, yeah. syndrome. I think they have a nature deficit syndrome, and that they're so far removed oh. from nature that is changing them wow. into something that that's unnatural. You know, concrete and steel does not give you the same connection to this wow. planet as walking on earth and grass. So I'm a firm believer that you have to touch the soil in order to be grounded, or else you're just not grounded. Wow. And that's maybe why they wander the streets, because they're looking and searching, and they're not being fulfilled. Yeah, they're not, they can't be grounded in an unnatural environment. We, we were not created in, an, in a concrete jungle. The concrete jungle is a, is a relatively new phenomenon on this planet. You know, just about any... Um, of the scriptures that you read talk about life beginning in a garden somewhere, not in a condominium or a high-rise or a mall. It's never about concrete. 
It's never about steel. It's, it's about the earth. The further we remove ourselves yeah. from that in each generation, you know, I mean, most of us, most black folks in this country, their grandparents knew how to raise a chicken in a garden or something. I think we're children are now being born who don't have grandparents who have any of that memory. So they're lost. Mm-mm. They have, they have nothing to look, to look back on. So the only thing they know is the malls, fast food and microwaves. And that's a problem. And it- and their cell phones now. You can't get them to put their cell phones oh, down the cell. or the iPad. Yeah. And they're getting ready to kick out a lot of stuff with this G5 technology that's going to make it even worse. Yes. Explain to the people what G5 is about. Well, to the best of my understanding, and this is not my forte, but I do read quite a bit, but, you know, it's, it's just a faster way to transmit information, but and so doing, there's a lot of scientific information out there that says that it's damaging to the human brain to be around those types of waves. I mean, you know, scientists are saying this, and many of them yeah. don't. You know, they swear that it's terrible. And the things that I've read leads me to believe the same thing. And that's really, I think that's one reason. I think that's one reason they arrested that one lady, the lady from Japan, because she was the CEO of a 5G company that was putting up those 5G towers, and they're putting them up pretty much everywhere right towers, now. Yeah. 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 You know, there was some research I read recently where a fire department, a fire station refused to let them put those towers on their mm-hmm. firehouse because they were making the firemen ill, mm-hmm. and, and so they, mm-hmm. they agreed not to do it mm-hmm. there. So there's evidence out there that uh, makes it highly suspicious, let's just say that. But the sign of the time so, is that, you know, we're, we're all moving too fast. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. And we're, and we're depending on uh, the manufacturing to package our food, to uh, give us our medicine, because so many of us are sick mentally, emotionally, and physically. We are sick. And being grounded to the earth and going back to eating food from the earth is much more. It's life. It's giving yeah. us life. Food is our medicine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and, and but it needs to be whole food. It needs to be organically grown, you know. And our preference, of course, on our farm, we plant nothing that's genetically modified. We only use organic seeds. We start our own seedlings. You know, we built a solar greenhouse. We'll start our seedlings in organic soil, and we transplant them to the fields ourselves. And um, we believe that, you know, if you don't grow it, you don't really know it. It's best to know your local farmer. Um, even yeah. the big box stores, you can't really trust them fully. I mean, because, you know, the more people that are involved in touching your food before it gets to you, the more likely you are to have some things that are misrepresented. Wow. Now, are you guys into canning and all that kind of stuff or wood-burning stove? How do you heat your home? I mean, when you yeah. say pretty much yeah. I'm thinking off the grid, so wood-burning stove, that kind of stuff too? No, we, we, we are we have our house is tied to the grid right at this moment, but it's not going to okay. be that way in the future. We will be solar powered. We do have okay. a geothermal heating and cooling system that we designed the house with. It's a modern house, you know, with all okay. the amenities that people are used to. But you know, still it will be powered by the sun. And for heat, like right now, I'm burning one wood stove in my house, and the house is about 3,500 square feet, but we're, we're probably 75 degrees upstairs. Well, downstairs, we're downstairs now, and um, it's about 75 degrees in here. It's probably 20-something outside, so that's not bad. 
You know, I went to a Mother Earth conference uh, with my business because what yesterday's kitchen for the day, I want to be able to bring all these old things that used to be, that our family and our grandparents used to use to get along with things in case there's no electricity, there's no power, there's no light. I want to bring back all yeah. those old things and have those things for people to have options. Because the reason why I called the business Yesterday's Kitchen for today, I want to bring yesterday's way of providing for your family in case there's no water, no electricity, educate the next generation on what to do. But then I know there's a lot of young women like my daughters. They're definitely today's women, so they want the same thing, but they want the electric. But if electricity isn't going, you need to have option. And I went to a Mother Earth conference. I was going to talk to the gentleman that sell wood-burning stoves. I could mm-hmm. not get next to him. It was so many people purchasing those stoves. It was blowing my mind away that people are going back. They're reversing back, getting off that, having their own well, having a wood-burning stove, and having solar power, coming off the grid completely. I think and that's I love the it. smart way to go. I, and it's funny that you should mention Mother Earth News. That's really what was what motivated yeah. us. Yeah. You know, we started uh, really we probably had a for about thirty plus years. Yeah. And you know, through Mother Earth News was the the venue that opened up our eyes mm-hmm. to living a different lifestyle choice. Right. So we're old I Mother Earth News uh, yeah. readers. Mm-hmm. You know, we went to Mother Earth yeah. News Village in Hendersonville, yeah. North Carolina, right. probably thirty, forty years ago, thirty five years ago or yeah. so, right? Yeah, something like that. And that's how I learned to do many of the things that I now know how to do and, and do on a daily basis. So Mother Earth News, you know, big shout out to them. I think they're doing a fine job. You know, over the years, they mm-hmm. certainly have put out a lot of useful information. Now, relative to the wood stoves, I mean, you know, unfortunately, you know, the majority of black folks are concentrated on the East mm-hmm. and the West Coast. You know, 80% yeah. of our population are, are urban dwellers. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's not the best place to be. And, you know, Mm-mm. if you read the signs and listen to yes. the information that's coming down there. Now, as recently as December the 11th, um, you know, the Department of Homeland Security put out a briefing on December 11th telling people, you can look this up online, I'm not making this up, telling the people, Americans, need, that we need to be prepared for up to a period of six months Six with months. no electricity, correct. Six months with with a possible power outage because probably the attacks on this country will be through cyber terrorism and knocking mm-hmm. out your utility companies. Yeah. So yeah, well, you didn't like all this digital stuff, but it could be gone in a flash. Yeah. Exactly, and you need and to you have know, something to do. You're so right about that. And, you know, anytime I do a workshop, I'm always educating us, okay, this is what we can do long-term. This is how we store food, all, mail our bags, dehydration, fermenting, giving them training. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine um, who's a raw chef told me about five years ago, she said, Marcia, there is a church here in Fayetteville, Georgia, they're having a natural disaster training program. She said, you need to participate because – my mission when I started the business was to educate people how to store grain long-term or short-term, how to store grain, just like Joseph's store grain. I have buckets of grain where we can mill into fresh flour, um, flake your own oatmeal, and educate family on having healthy meals. I don't care what's going down. So exactly. I called the church. 
I called the church to say, I want to participate in your natural disaster training program. And the church told me, they said, Marsha, this is a three-day training. You can only attend one day. And I said, why is that? She said, we are a closed pod. Mm -hmm. What? She said, a closed pod. Mm -hmm. I said, what is a closed pod? She said, our church has trained with CDC, FEMA, and Red Cross for two years. If there's a natural disaster, civil unrest, or chemical warfare, they get the food and the medical supplies first. So I'm yep. like, hmm. I said, well, wait a minute. Now, if I see people going to your building and I'm not part of your closed pod, she said, oh, we will have information to direct you to an open pod. And what mm -hmm. I learned here in Georgia Pod mean POD is point of dispensing. So if there's Amtrak or whatever, whatever medicine they right. have to dispense out, they want to be able to get it to a large group of organization of people so they can get that medicine to this large group instead of them trying to handle all the citizens at one time. But there's country clubs, private corporations, private people who have all signed up to be a part of a closed pod. So somebody may be working in a cubicle at work, something go down, they just know their bags are packed and what location they're going to be. And I'm like, exactly. okay, I got a big mouth. I got a big mouth, and I want to train the next generation. But we're so busy and caught up with reality TV, we can't see that our reality is being shaken. True enough. That is true. Mm. You know, and And, you know, the deeper side of this is that there are those who – are not really interested in helping people who look like us to survive anyway. Well, we can see that and what happened with Katrina. Exactly. Oh. The wake-up, I mean, the wake-up call has been sounded, you know, and, you know, it is also true that, you know, many are called, but, you know, few will be chosen. You are chosen. And everyone with you, and some people are going to be, you know, watching um, a football game and miss the cue. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I mean, the times yeah. that we're living in are very serious. You know, the, right yeah. now there's no major Western civilization that's not under some type of attack. You know, whether it's England, Germany, France, and the United yeah. States, all yeah. are in political upheaval. Um, mm -hmm. The World Bank, the World Monetary Fund, finances are not like they used to be. The Correct. really uber super rich people have already made their monetary exit strategy and have made plans to relocate to other places, oftentimes outside of the United States of America. Now, I know that's not something that the majority of African Americans are even thinking about doing or have the resources to do, but if you're sitting in a city in a large metropolitan area and you have no control over your food supply – and you have no control over your water supply, and you have no control over transportation and energy, you're basically a sitting duck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the credit cards won't help you when the ATM doesn't work. Yeah. And that's where yeah. we're headed. You know, there's a lot of and people that are preparing, you know, not to sound like an alarmist, but the reason that we live in a rural area and in the country is because we saw this handwriting on the wall many years ago and decided that part of our exit strategy was to get out early. And, you know, there's people who did it way before we did. But, you know, right now, this is 2019, 2020. Who knows what's going to happen if, you know, if things don't happen drastically before then. Um, you know, money is, is fake anyway. 
You know, there, there's nothing Correct. really backing the money. It's, it's just like monopoly money, and we're all playing this game, and we're all lulled into belief. It only works because the majority of the population believes it. So right. we're all we're all handing right. out fake money like Donald Trump's handing out fake news. <laughs> there's no there's no value to it. And but you, and and I guess my grief is I want our kids to know this. Um, I want our kids to be able to know how to start a fire, um, go into the kitchen and see that all I got is grain, flour, salt. I can make bread. I can make I can make some um, pea bread. I can make something with this, or I'll have beans. You know, I can't tell you how many times my granddaughter goes to the kitchen. She opens up the refrigerator and says, Grandma's nothing in here. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I go in there and I cook. And because it's not packaged, it's not frozen, it's something that you have to make from scratch. And that's my vision for the next generation is to be able to show them how to make their food from scratch, how to make food their medicine, how to do this. So tell us about your land and how how would you suggest us getting started for those who want to get started being a farmer? Well, you know, the first thing is, you know, there's a lot of, of urban gardening happening around the country. You know, most major cities have some organizations that are promoting urban gardening, and a lot of our people are getting their start that way. That That's a start, but that's not really what we're talking about. We're, we're actually talking about relocating from those areas where the you have concentrated populations. Your chances of being able to survive and fend for yourself are much better um, in those areas. So here's what I would say. You know, first, you want to locate a piece of land. If you're going to be dependent on your city job, then, you know, you draw a circle, and if it's that circle might extend out to an hour, and you start looking inside of that area for land and buy it. You can buy land just like you buy a car. Um, if you're paying $500 a month for a car note, I would suggest paying 250 for the car and using the other $200 that you used to pay for the car and buy a piece of land. And then once you get that land, you want to make sure that it's agricultural zoned because if it's not, then you're not going to be able to do everything you want to do on it. And, you know, I would say, you know, five to 10 acres is about the smallest as you would want to, uh, to start with because you're going to mm-hmm. need space. And then, you know, you need some basic tools and some basic knowledge. I would say really start – get you a subscription to Mother Earth News. Start reading that. Let that be a window to what many people in the world are doing. Um, you mm-hmm. know, look on Facebook. There's, you know, there's Black Homesteaders Alliance. There's awesome organizations out here. There are people who are, who are doing these things. There are black people who are living off the grid in this country with their own solar panels for electricity and – powering their wells and growing their food and not getting into debt and not being part of the matrix of debt at all. You don't have to be in debt. You know, that's part of the trickery. You know, we're all taught to go to school and get a good education and make sure that you maintain good credit, you see, because this whole country runs on credit. So we want you to make sure you've got the best possible credit so you can extend yourself and hopefully overextend yourself and get into debt that just keeps you on that hamster wheel forever. You cannot get off the treadmill now. You're going to have to keep working and keep paying and paying and paying and paying and paying. And as long as the majority of the population does that, this system continues until the markets crash and the money has no value, which is 
happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. So to start it, you know, you get you get a piece of land, and you know, then you have to have a time period where you actually learn. You might start out with a tiller. We started out with a tiller. I remember we had to borrow money to buy a tiller. We bought a Troy built tiller. I knew about Troy built tillers from reading Mother Earth <laughs> News. I got a Troy built tiller. It cost twelve hundred bucks. I had to go to the bank and borrow the money. And we used we used the heck out of that tiller for a number of years. And um, and we learned how to grow food. And now we've you know progressed to you know a tractor and tiller and uh, a tractor mounted tiller. You know like a six foot tiller behind a tractor and using drip irrigation and, and having a high tunnel and you know and goats and we've raised goats, chickens, guineas, horses. We've even raised ostrich. You know, you learn how to do sheep. Yeah. yeah, what else do? Yeah. That's, that's about it. Yeah. Um, but that's enough. So we know what we're doing now, and it is possible to lead a very good life. I mean, can, if you can imagine getting up in the morning and you're already where you need to be, there is no traffic. You don't have to fight traffic to go to work because you're already <laughs> oh, at work. That would be a blessing, yes. Oh, my God. But why the traffic is crazy? I was just, I guess I was blessed with an analytical mindset where that I just ask myself, why do we, why do I have to work? And the real reason is, and I ask people this all the time, why is it that I work? And the reason I worked was to buy things that I didn't produce or grow myself. Real simple. Yeah. Well, people say, well, I have to work Mm -hmm. because I have to eat. Oh, what if you grow your own food? Okay, scratch that off the list. Well, I have to work because I want to buy a car. Okay, I get that, but, you know, pay for it and keep it. Don't keep buying new ones. Yeah. You know, but yeah. we're tied up on yeah. a bunch of egotistical stuff when we feel like, well, you have to look a certain way or that's really important to have these material things. Well, what if you don't have to go anywhere? It doesn't become that important yeah. anymore. You can always rent one. And if you rent it, then, you know, you don't have to pay the monthly note or the insurance and all that stuff. You just use it when you need it and turn it back in. You know, I'm not anti-car. We have a car, but we have to get off of, you know, fossil fuel as a nation in order to save the environment. That's soon coming. You know, most of some of these companies are now moving towards electric vehicles anyway. And they said if we we lose the power grid, some cars will stop dead in its track because they're so computerized and everything will stop as it is. Isn't that right? That, that is correct. All, all of the computer-operated cars that are, uh, you'd have to go back to the middle 70s um, to, to have a vehicle that would not be impacted by that, maybe even a little bit before that. But I'd say the early 70s, late 60s for sure, and maybe 75 up to maybe 77. But once they put those computer chips in, uh, in your car, they would not work. That is correct. Wow, wow. And yeah. you know, so that, you know, 20, you know a, a 2019 Lexus would be worthless. Wow. One gentleman, I was sell, when I sell grain. When I first started selling grain, I I like to bake, and um, I learned about white flour, white sugar, and the health benefits, mm-hmm. the, how this junk was messing us up. I had a younger daughter. My youngest daughter kept getting warts on her finger when she was younger. And I took it to the doctor. We tried to over-the-counter stuff, too. Nothing worked. And I remember she thrust her finger in my face, and she said, okay, Mama, I want it cut off. She got loud with me, and I'm thinking, okay, all right, baby. Now, I said this to her not knowing what I was saying. 
oh, we need to fight this from the inside, not the out. Went in my bedroom, started reading my Bible, and I got this urge to pick up this book and this, this box that I had sermons and tapes in, and I found this tape by this lady named Sue Becker called Bread Becker. She's out of Woodstock. And on the tape, it says, I t- popped the tape in the cassette tape, and she said, oh, my daughter had warts on her fingers, and we couldn't fight it. You know, she had trouble with it. So she took her daughter to a doctor who practiced medicine the old way. And the doctor said, take your child off of white flour, white sugar, white rice, and white salt, and increase her vitamin E. And the lady said, Good within advice. weeks, her daughter's warts was gone away. And I'm thinking, that's it? And then that what sent me on a journey to know the propaganda with our food and our health and what yeah. was it just sent me down a, a, a like a rabbit hole and I hadn't stopped learning and reaching and going on and on. I did that. I took her off of all the white stuff. It went away within weeks. And I'm thinking, we've been dealing with this ever since she was in middle school. Now it's gone. So I yep. start milling my own flour. And when I start doing this, I'm getting excited. I want to share with others on how to do this. And I was selling it in 50 pounds and 25 pounds of grain for people to mill. And one gentleman told me, he's a Caucasian, really nice guy, he used to buy grain from me. Mm-hmm. Marsha, you need to educate your community because if something go down, they're going to be the ones in the street tearing up things. That's right. That's and right. And I'm thinking, and that was back in 2003, 2004. And he, now I, my husband was living then. I told him, I said, okay, is there a war going to happen? We don't know nothing about it. But because I respected him and he was a good customer, I listened to him. And he would tell me, you need to have this, you need to have this. And I compiled a list of things to have for disaster or a preparedness, even from the United States government, just looking at their stuff that they be putting out. And when I share this with our community, they're not interested. But I've met so many people who are preppers. And the gentleman that was on last week, he was in his mid-80s. And and he's been doing this for years, over 30-some years. And him and his That's wife, great. they got a down pack. He's written a book. And so I'm like, okay, y'all, help me to wake up my people. Help us to wake each other up yeah. so we can be wise in what we do and saving our money and start slowly putting things away. Because I think my fear is for, for people, um, food stamp may not work. If the tariffs, the taxes, well, the food going up. Food stamps may disappear. I mean, just to be clear, Marsha. I mean that's that's with that could happen this year. I mean that's you know that's one of the things that President Trump is is they're they're working on attacking that now, but it's already been stated that with this closure of the government that they're not sure how much longer people are going to have food stamps right now. Yeah. I mean that 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 could dry up within you know a month or two. Yeah. Yeah. And you know and that's. And then I'm thinking, okay, how many people are going to learn how to feed their babies? And I've seen so many young women, and one of all the different type of workshops I do, one is on grain, showing people how to mill their fresh wheat into flour, how to make homemade mm-hmm. butter, yogurt, uh, um, cream. That's one of the class, working with yep. dairy. Then dehydration, mm-hmm. showing them how to dehydrate fresh fruits and vegetables. But one that I really have a passion for is called labor of love. And that one is teaching the young women how to have their womb 
cleaned up before they're pregnant, while they're pregnant, how to make their own baby formula with goat milk recipe. Yep. I got a recipe showing them how to make their own baby goat milk, and it's much more healthier for the babies. Uh, their brain, while the baby is eating young, the gut affects the brain. Academically, Absolutely. we can have our kids very Absolutely. smart. We can get them off the sugar, crack sugar is the, is the next crack cocaine, and getting exactly. them off the sugar and processed foods. Well, you know, sugar and so, cocaine, almost they're the same molecular structure. There's just like, I think, one molecule different between the two. But that, that also speaks to the thing about, you know, things that are, are, are like white flour and white sugar that are, are denatured. You know, white flour came mm-hmm. about as a result because flour didn't start out being white. You know, in, in the earlier days, you know, um, pre-World War II, when farming was mostly organic and sustainable and, and regional farmers would grow the wheat and the rye and the barley, and they would grind it, and they, you would have flour locally. But before that, and when we had the covered wagons going west and people needed to be able to, you know, keep flour in a barrel, they took the germ out because it would spoil during the journey. People got used to white flour, mm-hmm. but it didn't start mm-hmm. out that way. So anytime you take something out that God put in and meant to have it there in the beginning, you got to really question the logic behind that because, you know, we firmly believe that God got it right. Man messed it up. Yes. But Amen. it's the way it's yes. supposed to yes. be, the way that it was created. We can't keep on, yeah. you know, playing with God's work and thinking that we're smarter. That's, Makes no sense Correct. to me. <laughs> and not only that, you so, talk you know, about, you about that. But... Yes, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. We no, talked about these modified foods. Okay, oh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. I got a delay. No, no, here. you're fine. Go ahead. No, I'm listening. Genetically modified foods are a terrible threat to humanity. There's so much mm-hmm. research that's been written on that. I just implore people to please, you know, Google it and read. Don't just read one thing. I mean, you could literally read for weeks on this, but I know I've read so much stuff over the years that is really scary. You know, that Mm -hmm. what's going on with the food. It's really scary. Um, Man, you don't really know what you're eating. And most people are not going Mm -hmm. to go into the science behind the food. But the safest thing is this. If you pick up a box and it's got like uh, 27 ingredients, put it back on the shelf. (laughs) <laughs> There's absolutely no reason for that. You know, the preserves in your food is to preserve the profits of the middleman, not the farmer, but the middleman. The middleman is the guy who owns the grocery store. They want it to have a long shelf life so you can buy it. Mm-hmm. So that's why preservatives are in your food, not for your health, but for somebody else's wealth. You don't Ooh. need them. Wow. Yeah. You don't, you don't need them. And you know, I read Jeffrey Smith. I got a hold of a book called Seed of Deception by Jeffrey Smith, and he's um, well-known throughout the world on genetic modified food. And his, the name of his organization is uh, Responsible Technology, so they're really against um, genetically modified food. When I started okay. learning that they were tampering with the seed, it bothered me so bad. That I'm, I literally cried out to God. I said, "What am I supposed to do with this knowledge? Why am I learning this?" And we're not. No one else was. You know, seemed like no one else was learning back then. And my Bible was open to Jeremiah two twenty one. And 
And it says, God said to Israel, yet I have given you seeds, seeds of the highest quality. How then have you turned before me into alien vines? Wow. I tell people yeah. when I do workshops, do not buy seedless watermelon and seedless grapes. Because if the seed's not exactly. in there, how do we get those yep. produce? Yep. They're cloning them. And, you know, that's, that's you know, what I call Frankenstein's. It's not good. Yes. You know, scientists, many scientists have said, I remember reading um, a book many years ago, but uh, the gist of it was that the scientists all agreed that genetically modified organisms are more of a threat to humankind than nuclear weapons. Now, that's deep. Yes. That's deep. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that these GMOs affect everyone on a daily basis where the nuclear threat you know, it'd be a one-time thing, probably, unfortunately, a one-time thing. But it's just sitting there waiting where the GMO is not sitting there waiting. It's being utilized every day. So the effects of that are affecting millions of people across the globe all the time. And you've got companies that are trying to monopolize seed. You know, you know, Monsanto comes to mind from what they're doing and other Archer Dan- Daniel Midlands yep. and uh, all their companies, but they're really messing up our food supply. But back to what black folks can do, because unfortunately, we don't control as much land as we did back in 1935. Few of us are showing any interest in agriculture as a vocation. Most of us ran mm-hmm. to the cities and became urbanites. Yes. Well, yep. unfortunately, that's not where you want to be, brothers and sisters. It's just not where you want to be. If you can't provide your own food, clothing, and shelter, you know, think it used to be that the government was, you know, the best place you could get a job. How secure was that? Look what's happening yes. to government workers right now today mm-hmm. as we yep. They are not getting paid. Yep. Everybody ran from one plantation to the old plantation to the new plantation. They still follow in <laughs> Massa wherever Massa goes. And that's the yep. reality of yep. where we are. They still follow it. And now when Master says, you know, well, things aren't working like I think they should, I'm going to have to let you all go for a while, but I'll call you back when I need you. Mm-hmm. You might not get the call mm-hmm. back. You uh, might not and get they the call not back get... because they might not need you. They may not even get their back pay back. You think they're going to get their back pay That's back? That's correct. I mean, mm. um, it's questionable. I think, you know, somebody said that um, – <laughs> Of course, they're going to try to, and they're going to make it seem like they will, but they probably take their time paying it back. Or, you know, I mean, if they give it to you, that's great, but the money is not what it's supposed to be anyway. So you're still going to have, you know, payments in arrearage and mm-hmm. fines to pay and catching up. And, you know, it's not a happy time. Yeah. But, correct. but correct. you know, to me, the curse is dependency, you know, but, you know, the Bible never intended for us to live like this. You no, know, it's it's clear. No. It never was the intention of the Creator for us to live like this, and we have and forsaken all to, of those. Lessons. We have. I want to go back to the seeds. I had uh, the Baker yes. Creek Seed Company, the Heirloom Seed Company, on yep. Suzanne to encourage people to get one of those seed catalogs. The seed catalogs that come in. I just got my uh, 2019 seed catalog. Save seeds. If you're not saving those yep. seeds for yourself, and that's another thing that drives me nuts. And as a mom and a grandma, I'm looking out for the next generation. I'm saving seed for my grandson who's one years old. 
or right. my grandbaby who's that only three months old. I may not have to use these seeds, but they may have to use them seeds. Do you know, and I think I know you know, but I'm going to say this to my audience, that in Norway they have a doomsday vault where they're saving yep, seeds, heirloom seeds from all over the world. That's and right. Every country is banking their seeds in this doomsday vault in Norway. It opened February of 2005. That bank is being uh, financially supported by Bill and Melinda Gates, the Rockefeller Foundation, United States government, Norway, Monsanto's, and all these other genetically modified mm-hmm. um, companies. They're saving the heirloom seeds and populating the world with genetically modified seeds. I don't want the government holding my seeds. Hold your mm-hmm. own seeds. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah we, we save seeds from year to year, um, and we encourage people only to purchase organic um, the, a lot of the smaller organic seed companies are under siege, and the larger companies yeah. are, are actively working to put them out of business. There's lots of lawsuits that are ongoing, and it's criminal yeah. what's been happening. Um, you know, farmers are under siege, not just in this country and other countries as well. But, yeah, we know about that seed bank, but, you know, mm-hmm. we, we are really imploring people to think about homesteading as a lifestyle, as a survival lifestyle and to think about getting out of the rat race and to really assess your situation and ask yourself, how secure is your family's future? What can you really do to provide for them? How long could you last if the power went off tomorrow? What would you do if you went to the gas station and the tanks didn't work? What would you do if you stick your card in the ATM and it says, we are sorry, but there's no money available to withdraw, or due to suspicious activity, your account has been suspended. Now what do you do? Wow. You see, we've lost yeah. our natural minds. It used to be that, you know, our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers, you know, especially black men, when they left out of the rural south, which was a mistake in many ways, you know, yeah. um, there they were able to garden. But they went up north. They took these industrial jobs. And, and look yeah. at the results of that. You know, we got you know, most of our most of our families were we we thought that we were running to a better life, but you just ran mm-hmm. to a new boss, and that new boss was industrialization, mm. and now we've become just like, well, just like them. Mm. You know, it, this is all about consumption, and and we pride ourselves with the more money we make, the more we want to buy, and the more we want to spend. And the reality is, most black people, if you get paid on Friday, you're probably going to be broke by the following Friday. Because, you know, you're paying, you know, somebody who doesn't look like you for the place you live in, for the food, for the energy, for the, the gas, the transportation. By the time you finish paying everybody, you've got nothing left for yourself. Yeah, we're, wow. we're living yeah. in an unsustainable way, and we're not able to take care of our basic needs. So I am an advocate for food, clothing, and shelter. Take a good hard look at where you are. You can live comfortably. Think about this. If you have a solar house and a garden and a greenhouse and you build that house yourself, and there's no reason why you can't because men used to always build their house, and men and women all over the world. You know, this whole thing with the architects and engineers as we know them and these, you know, homes and subdivisions and all of this stuff is less than 200 years old as our mm-hmm. supermarkets. How did people live before then? 
you know, I, I remember reading a book on goats some time ago, and there was a statement in it by the author says, which came first, the feed store or the goat? <laughs> that changes my way of thinking, but that's really deep. It's really deep because, you know, obviously, you know, but you think about it. Well, the goat, obviously, we get the answer right away. Well, the goat came first. Then why are you going to the feed store to get goat food? Because if the goat was here before the feed store was here, obviously, that goat did not need the feed store. So what I talk to people now about raising goats, and they say, well, what do you use for feed? I say, I use what God provides. And if you're not doing it that way, you're doing it wrong. And it's not going to last. Wow. We're going to take a break right now on the D-Hour Network. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come right back uh, with uh, the Vanguard, Mr. and Mrs. Turner. I thank you guys for being on. But if anyone – I'm going to check to see what we have some callers online and see if anyone has a question for you. But we'll be right back, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bear with me. I'm having trouble with my connection again here. You know, no problem. Just, you talk about I'm internet. Comfortable. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to walk over to my wood stove. All right. Now, the stove um, still burning, maybe? Okay, I have a question for you. Seeing that I'm waiting to get this thing connected, wood burning stove, what kind of wood can you burn in that stove? I mean, can you just burn any kind of wood, or you have to have certain kind of wood that you burn in there? That's what I always wanted um, to know. You can burn just about any kind of wood. I mean, it's not recommended to burn a lot of pine because pine has a lot of creosote. It's a resin in it that burns and can, um, you know, coat the inside of your pipe and lead to, like, flash fires. But typically you want to burn hardwoods, you know, um, oak. You know, we we burn a lot of oak, maple, you know, popular, um, hardwoods in general, not a problem. Pines we stay away from, but you can mix a little pine in if you want. But, you know, we, we live in an area there's lots of woods, so it's not a problem. So but you're it cutting sure your is own nice. wood down too? Um, yeah, I did in the wood? past. This year, this year I didn't, but I, I will again, you know, next year. I have for many years, you know, with the chainsaw and split it and all of that, which is common. A lot of people still do that. But we're about five minutes away from a wood lot, so I can drive my pickup truck there, and I can get a load. And it'll last me for a couple of weeks. That frees my time up, and it's a lot easier on my back. <laughs> but we can get our house on your property. Exactly, we store it right under the window. When we can, one of us goes outside and hands the cut pieces to the other one, and we bring it in the window right beside our wood stove. Stack it right there. So we can heat our house for about forty bucks a week, no matter how cold it is. Wow. I don't think 40 that's, bucks that's a not, week? Yeah, and it's 3,500 square foot house, two stories with about 20 rooms in it. That's without me wow. having to do anything but go pick it up. That is great. That is so great. Wow. All right, well, I got the music going. We're going to take a break so you can just relax. And um, we'll be right back on the D Hour Network with Marcia Satterson for your health. So 
Back on the Diawa Network, this is Marcia Patterson for your help. I'm with the Vanguard uh, Vanguard Ranch, Mr. and Mrs. Turner. I am so glad you're on board with us. Uh, you know what I want to talk and say one thing, and I have a caller that has a question for you regarding land. One thing I'm learning is that when I, I went to, um, I was in Natchez, Mississippi, to one of the Black Farmers Conference, and what I learned is that these farmers, when they uh, – borrow money from the USDA, they have to pay that at the end of the season, at the end of the harvest. And if their produce is not, if they, the rain got wiped out or they had weather things, they can, if their land is used for collateral, they can end up losing, a, a lot of them are losing that land that way. Did you find that out to be true? Uh, that is true. But that's, and you know, farming really, in general. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So, but, but if they have their own seeds, so you have to. Go ahead. How come they can't take a loan? How come they can't take a loan not like you do any other loan and then make the monthly payment? Why is it due at the end of the season? At well, the end of the harvest. On the type of loan. That would really depend okay. on what type of loan and for how many years you took it out for. But typically, okay. um, it's not unusual for a, a big farmer. I mean, talking thousands of acres to borrow money each mm-hmm. year. Just to stay in business. People so, don't, okay. don't really understand that. But if you're a big soybean or cotton or tobacco farmer or wheat, any of those guys, typically they'll borrow money each year to buy that seed and the fertilizer that they use because a lot of them use all of that. And then they hope to make a profit and be able to pay off that loan or they, it's a revolving door. So big box farming, I mean, when you're farming 500 or 5,000, 1,500 acres or whatever, it's a business, and most farmers are in debt. And these farmers, uh, but they farmers got, in particular, um, have a problem with um, 
with these USDA loans and yes. and land loss. That's a major issue. Now, with President Trump signing this um, relief money to help these farmers, now with the government shut down, they still haven't gotten that money. Is that true? That That is true. And, you know, I personally know farmers who, because of the shutdown, didn't get their payments to purchase seeds, so they may, in fact, lose a whole season if they don't get that money in time to plant. Because, you know, everything is about timing when you farm. So it's possible right. they could lose the whole season's worth of income, which means, hey, you know, that's not a good place to be. Imagine if – let me make this analogy. For those of you who work uh, 40 hours a week for someone, anyone, and you're expecting to get paid, what if you just didn't get paid for half the year? Because, you know, when, by the time you buy the seeds and prepare the land and plant it, some of these crops are going to take months to grow before they mature before they're harvested and sold, you don't get any money until you sell that product. Imagine going to work and not getting paid for six months. Yeah. yeah. That's what it's like to have sometimes. Wow. So, and now the USDA has a history of being very um, biased and um, not fair to many of the African-American that's right. farmers. Is that- that's right. That, that's, that's still the case. That, that is still and the case. Know, I, I mean, gonna, I didn't say that made. because when I was down in Natchez, Mississippi, that was brought up. People were saying they were going into these various local rural areas to the USDA farm, um, office, and the people weren't, we, uh, first of all, wasn't showing them respect, wasn't giving them the proper information or helping them with the information they did need to uh, qualify or to get what they needed. Uh, And I can testify that that is all absolutely true as one who has done that and been through that process. It is not user-friendly. Most of your uh, United States Department of Agriculture um, offices don't really have people of color in them. And it had been my experience as well that you generally – I didn't get treated well when I first went there years and years ago. Um, And that's still the case. Um, wow. Our best bet is to develop. Well, really, what should what should happen? What I think is possible is that those within the African American community who have the financial means, our athletes, our musicians, our superstars who are making millions of dollars, we need to create our own bank and we need to fund our own African American farmers ourselves. Mm-hmm. Then we can stop this revolving yeah. door process because we continue to lose land. And we continue to lose really the opportunity for the future generations to be able to fend for themselves, which which is yeah. actually part of the program. Wow. It's part of the program. Wow. So we're never able to really stand our own ground. You know, and, you know, wow. a, a, a landless man is a homeless man. Say that again. That's what it gets down to. A landless man is a homeless man. A man with no land is homeless. Wow. If you're only renting the space that you're living in, it's not really yours. You don't control it. You don't have any say-so what happens. They can raise the rent, put you out anytime. That all changes when you own the land, and it becomes a source of heritable wealth that's passed on from generation to generation. Where I'm living right now, my next-door neighbors, they're all Caucasian. They've had that farm in their family for four generations, four generations They grew up without having to look for a job, without having to look for equity, without having to look for money. 
sure their children graduate school and go to college. That's all good. But they always have a place to come back home. They always have a place where they can build a house. The equity is already yeah. there. Simply go to the bank and say, I, my grandfather gave me 10 acres. I'm going to use that for collateral to build my house. No problem. No questions asked. Boom, they get a house. Wow. This value yeah. plan oftentimes will pay for that house so they could get that house with a very minimal mortgage, if any. That is heritable wealth that black folks don't get because we don't understand the value of land. This country was started right. by land owners. Your Jeffersons, your Washingtons, your Madisons, all of those so-called founding fathers, the Frank, Van Benjamin Franklin, they were all land owners. And that's where the wealth came from. Even though they were thieves, I mean, they stole somebody else's land. Yes. And they had to but slave to work the land. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. yes, well, have- yes. That's true. I have a call, uh, question. Uh, Martina, uh, one of the callers has a question. Her name is Martina. Martina, go on with your question. Well, it's not really a question, but I, I live in a city. I'm a city dweller. My grandfather, I'm, he was part of the Great Migration, so that's probably why it's embedded in me. <laughs> and so I have been listening to my mom talk about get land, get land, get land. So after hearing you today, my next investment is going to be land. Um, but the thing is, is that um, I, I really don't know, like, I'm going to have to really pray about it because I really wouldn't know what to do with it, you know, like, to, you know, to, I wouldn't know what to do with the land. Like, um, okay. I know my, so, but I, I was one of those people that's, you know, driving these, this car and it, it just doesn't make any sense. I bought my grandfather's house from the estate, but his house is in the city. You know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, you know, it's up north and, and so I, I don't know, but I, after today, after listening to you today, I'm definitely, that's going to be my next investment within the next six months. I'm going to look for land, but I just don't know. I wouldn't know what to do with it. And then how well, much, you know, I'm single, so I, I'd e- I wouldn't even know where to start, but to know to log on the, the MLS site and, and look. So I need well, to- here's what, well, you know, your question is one that I get frequently. But I'm encouraged to hear you say that, and, and I applaud that, and you will never regret the effort, um, you know, that decision, I should say. Uh, what you, what's your motive for owning the land will determine what you do with it. Since I advocate, you know, homesteading and the growing lifestyle, which is based on making your living and earning off the land, we're actually working to the point where money is something that we rarely need to use. And I know that sounds very strange to many people. But when you develop a certain skill set and you know how to grow food and how to preserve it and keep your house warm, but you see, I also know how to build a house, and it's more it's more difficult for your single female. I'll grant you that. Um, you know, I, I think it's much easier with a partner, but that's where our brothers need to step up and learn these craft these craftsman skills. We need carpenters, we need bricklayers, we need plumbers, and we need electricians. We need more of our men to take these skills on and and learn them so that we can actually liberate ourselves. But unfortunately, our men have lost their natural minds and they just want to be comfortable. (laughs) They just want to make enough money so they can buy the fancy clothes and some cologne or some expensive booze, go to a club. And some of them, you know, they're more frivolous than, than I care to see them be. Let's just put it that way. 
Um, however, do purchase the land. That's that's a very good thing to do. And then you can, you know, get back with me and I can give you some pointers. It all depends on, you know, where your land is, you know, what type of work that you choose to do. There's no reason you can't have that land and keep the job that you have. You just have to be able to make that commute if that's what you choose. But at some point, you'll be able to stop that commute because you'll have everything that you need in place and, and a safety valve. I think mm-hmm. that's smart. Okay, so I'm, I'm I mean, going to contact you back. <laughs> absolutely. You know, so you can yeah, look at, so. you know, definitely, and or, you know, on Facebook, you know, I started, um, and I'm actually writing a book. Um, I, I have an organization I started. It's called the African American Agrarian Association for Sustainability. I know that's a mouthful, but that's what it is. And, um, you know, get back in touch with Marcia. I'll tell her. I'll share information if she can share it as well, and I'll be happy to talk to you. I'm actually writing a book that is a blueprint of how to take a raw piece of land with ideas of how to build. What if you could build a house on that land that you didn't have to mortgage it for 30 years? You know, mortgage is the French word for march of the death. Did you know that? Mm. Mortgage means march of the death. Wow. So think about it. What's a mortician? Yeah. Someone who prepares mort, the body for mort death. Means death. Mort means death. Mm-hmm. Rigor mortis. Mortician. Mortgage. Wow. March of death. Yeah, and, and if you late really and miss a payment, the interest is crazy. So absolutely, yeah, it's a death. If trip. they don't foreclose on you, which is what's, what yeah. some people are getting threatened with that now because their checks aren't coming from the government. Right. You know, it's you know the matrix is truly the matrix. It's it's. When you really understand and get into it, we've all been hoodwinked and bamboozled for a long time. And it's unfortunate that most of us bought into it lock, stock, and barrel. We are not questioning Mm -hmm. the meaning of life on any spiritual level. Most of us don't even go there. We are more concerned with our balance in the bank, being able to take a cruise, have a nice car, and go to a fancy restaurant and spend a bunch of money. Make everybody else rich. <laughs> Make everybody mm-hmm. else rich. And then black people still complaining and marching about why we're so poor. Well, we're poor because we mismanage our resources, what little we have. But the biggest and the best resource you could have is land ownership. That's what can save your behind. Now, her dad uh, had some property in Laurel, Mississippi, and it's just sitting there, and we really it's, – it's, it's kind of it's kind of like in a country. How much acres of land it is, Lance? Um, it's, uh, it's about two acres of land. He sold two of it to uh, an, an additional two uh, – I can't talk right now. He sold two acres to a water company, and he kept two acres. So he's sitting on two acres of land. He had a total of four. And it's a small okay. little house with a wood-burning stove and all, I mean, you know, wood-burning insert and all of that stuff. He he could technically, w- could have went off the grid, but he didn't. But, um, yes, yeah, so sure. the house is just sitting there. I, we haven't done anything with it at all. Well, you know, it, that sounds like a good start. I mean, it's a core to start mm-hmm. with, but you can certainly probably add on to it depending on your zoning and county regulations. There's a number of things you have to educate yourself on to see what's actually feasible and viable to do. You have to start with the regulations in whatever county that that property is located in, find out what it's zoned for and what's allowed 
permissible usage and, you know, what's per, uh, allowed as far as construction. You know, there's a lot of new technologies out there. I know a lot of homes that can be um, built, you know, in a few days because of the materials that are available today. You can build a house without a mortgage. That is completely possible. You can build a house off the grid from day one. That's completely possible. You know, where we are right now, we built a very energy-efficient house, but we've made the decision. We've always been handed this way anyway, but we're paying more to have our electricity delivered to our house and taxes and usage fees than we're paying for the actual kilowatt hours that we're using. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So, you know, now, I mean, so yeah, it makes no sense to keep doing that. So we're not. What about what about people buying land from the owner with his owner finance? Yeah, that's what we did. And I, I, if you get a chance to do that, that's good. You know, it can okay. be good. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And as a matter of fact, I would I would recommend that first because oftentimes you can bypass the bank and a lot of other you know the credit hurdles that we sometimes have to jump through. Okay. Yeah. So there's nothing so wrong with that. People still sell. People still selling land like that or property like that through owner finance. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, which is really cool because, you know, you could probably buy land. I'm sure you can buy land for the same amount of money you're paying on a car net. There's no question in my mind you can do that, and uh, why not? You know, because once you drive the car off the lot, it depreciates in value. That land appreciates in value. Take that car back five years from the day you bought it. It's not worth much but that land will be worth more. You see? Now, do you have classes on your land where you're educating people about um We're going to do that. Um, you know, people have asked us, and since I started writing more and people have been asking me to do this, you know, um, Shanette and I, my wife, we've decided that we're going to, we're going to do that. Um, stay tuned to, to that site on Facebook. I think we're going we're gonna to put the information there. Because we might, you know, take on four students at a time or something like that for a couple of weeks so we can give them a hands-on experience on, you know, working in greenhouses, uh, how to operate a tractor, or how to operate a chainsaw, how to use hand tools, how to, you know, work with animals and so forth and so on, um, teach them about some solar stuff. Um, and, you know, I know some people around me who have skills that I'm learning. I have a friend who's been off grid for 17 years very well versed on solar. Wow. So imagine for 17 years, you know, no electric bill. Wow. No that water bill. Yeah, yeah. Well, people are doing it. And, and a lot of the people who are doing it don't look like us. And a lot of the young people, <laughs> this is what discourages me quite a bit. A lot of young Caucasians are moving to yes. the land, relocating, starting yes. intentional communities. They're never getting in debt. They're never getting the expensive yes. cars. They're doing the homeschooling, you know, they're, they're, they're doing everything to not be a part of this matrix and get caught up in the madness. And, and I yes. see our youth spending their time on foolishness still, many of them, unfortunately, because the city does that to their brains. Like the food is denatured, that whole environment of concrete and steel is also denatured, and the vibrations that they have been grown up in if you will, the terroir of that area, they're not able to vibrate a certain high consciousness of level of thinking because cement is deadening the impulses of nature. So they're not getting the highest vibrations. 
Well, a lot of these kids don't even get outside for recess, or they don't get out to play at all. They're vitamin D sufficient all the way. They are vitamin D, and they're also vitamin M. They're vitamin for nature. They are nature deprived. They have a nature deficit, and they're all this electronic intrusion into their brains is not good. Now, okay, what about hunting and fishing? Do you do hunting and fishing? Do you do either one of those? I don't do either one, but I'm not opposed to it for people who do. I, ha- I have allowed people to hunt on our land, um, and as long as they consume it, that's fine. You know, I'm not in favor of trophy hunting and killing something just to kill it. But um, Correct. for those Correct. who do, that's fine. And I have, I have friends who do both. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a little girl, I remember my dad, he loves rabbit and squirrel. I didn't eat it. I didn't mm-hmm. eat it. <laughs> But I remember as a yeah. kid watching him clean his gun, he, you know, mm-hmm. and going hunting and with his brothers and some of his friends. And, you know, I can still hear their laughter, uh, their little jokes and uh, making fun of each other and how they did that. And when I had a home daycare, I'd taken some of the kids to the um, park to um, go fishing. But they were afraid of the worms. They were afraid of everything. So that's another thing I think we need to start with some of these city kids is get them out. You know, you got these boys that want guns. Let them go hunt some deers or uh, uh, some meat yeah. for the family. Yeah, that's that's a better use of the guns than what they're, unfortunately, what they're getting them yes. for. Um, you know, that's that's a whole other topic. But, you know, the difference is that generation that you're, you're yes. speaking of, that generation of men, you see, every generation that we've gotten away from the roots of the land, you know, from our grandparents, has gotten more dependent, and unfortunately, it's made our our men weaker. It's it's made yes. the men weaker. So nowadays, a strong man considers himself to be very virulent if he's making a lot of money, or he looks a certain way, or dresses a certain way, sounds a certain way, has shot a certain car. That's the standard. It used to be that a man who could use his hands and provide for his family and could, you know, actually build things, make things happen, make things work. But I'll tell you the truth. I would say if you gave a tractor trailer load of tools and lumber to the average black guy in the inner city, they would probably try to sell it versus build a house with it. (laughs) And that's very telling of where our consciousness is. So we cannot move forward as a people until, you know, our men regain their natural minds and become, you know, producers, not just providers. There's a difference. You know, I can go to work and work for somebody who doesn't look like me, and they'll provide me with a check if I'm not working for the government, and I can use that money to give it right back to them, basically, to buy the food and pay the rent and pay my car note and buy the gas. So I'm only working to pay them any damn way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. all of that changes yeah. – when you stop living in that matrix and you say, well, I'm going to go back to living the way that is more scriptural, more spiritual, and closer to what I think the creator meant for us to live, and I'm going to become the person who is the producer of the goods and services, and I'm going to live like men used to live, and I'm going to learn everything that I need to learn to provide for my family. And that may mean hunting and fishing and, you know, how to make that tractor work or how to relay a bridge mm-hmm. or how to pull an electric wire and how to pull a well out right. of a pump and how to wire it. These are all things that I've had to learn. My wife has had to learn. 
But mm-hmm. that's what it takes to to live this lifestyle choice. Like my right now, I told you we have eight inches of snow. Our road is mm-hmm. a good half a mile long. I'm a half a mile back from a a county maintained road. If I don't get out there and start my tractor and open up my road, I can't drive out of here. If I can't make my tractor start, I can't drive out of here. So I have to know enough to keep everything running and how to fix it. If it's beyond me, then I have to call somebody for help. They're going to take their time to get here. It's going to cost me a couple <laughs> hundred dollars for them to come and look at it. And it might be something that was a 5 or $10 piece. But I have the internet. Mm-hmm. I can go online. I can look at the schematic. I can read it. I can troubleshoot it. And most of the time, I can fix it myself. Mm-hmm. But I know for yeah. sure that if my tractor doesn't, <clears throat> my tractor will start in the morning because, you know, I know. I keep it up. But if it didn't, there's no one here to help me. So you learn to be self-sufficient. We are advocates of self-sufficiency. It is very liberating. Farming is a revolutionary act of liberation for black people. We do it to be free. I was watching in I was watching uh, Atlanta Public Station last Sunday. I just walked into the kitchen television on, and they were interviewing a young black girl who was a woodcarver. She made her own bed, and this stuff is the I mean, her furniture, her guitars, everything. And I was so blown away when I called the station. I said, I need to get in touch with this lady. I need to get in touch with this lady because I need her to make something for me. And sure enough, she called her name was Sean. I got her information. Yes. Oh, my goodness. You, they, her, she I, will, I will contact her. <clears throat> yes. I'm going to give you her name and number because and, her and I are going to connect in the, uh, next week sometime. But I said to her, I said, wait a minute. You a young lady, a young African-American woman. She was single at the time. She said, I went to the furniture store to buy me a bed. And she said, I looked at the bed, and something inside of me said, you can do that. She said, yeah, I can. and she said, then she spoke it out loud. I can do that. So she went mm-hmm. to Home Depot, bought the equipment, and, she, and made her bed. She said she had that bed for seven years, and she just got rid of the bed. Her and her husband got a new, different bed. But she, make, and she quit her job, quit her job, and she made guitars. She made all kinds of beautiful wood. Oh. I mean, excellent stuff. I like that. Yeah. And I'm like, I like that. Wow. wow. That's my kind of person. Yeah, and I totally believe I totally believe we got a lot of young people out here that have that spirit laying dormant in them to be a farmer. Because I can see some of these kids walking the street. I'm like, "Mm -mm, he may have a farmer spirit inside of him, and that needs to be resurrected and out of them. Yeah, because I think I think we all do. Yeah, I do. I I think we we all do because you know that's the spirit of you know. As an African people, we are people who come from the earth. We're the original people on this planet. So, you know, nature is definitely in us, and it's in our DNA. And I think we may feel it more innately than other people because we are the original people. So farming is not an an exotic occupation. It's the most primal and sacred, you know, being a caretaker of the earth. It's a kind of a sacred job. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. It's, it it doesn't get the type of notoriety in the press that you know these athletes are getting this weekend, or a musician, or an actor, you know. But 
Hey, here's one thing I can tell you for sure. Most people eat every day, but you don't have to go <laughs> to the football game every day or the movies every day, or you don't need a doctor or a lawyer every day, but you need a farmer every day. Correct. Correct. Because without the farmer, we would not survive. Yeah. Food, clothing, and shelter. Food's always first. It's not clothes and shelter and then food. It's food first. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I don't know if you know, have you, are you familiar with Dr. Weston Price, the Weston Price Foundation? Yes. Yes, I am. Okay. So, I, and, you know, I was a, I'm a member of that. And actually quite a few of the people, like Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, she's, she's going to be on, again on my show, educating us mm-hmm. about food. And what I like about what he did in his early study with his dentist is that he traveled all these remote villages in Africa and India and all these different places, and these people, all they did was ate off the land. And it was recorded that when the settlers got here to America, got here to this land they now call America, and they met the Mm -hmm. Indians, they wrote back to the other settlers in other parts of the world and said, these Indians have teeth straight as piano keys and nice and white. They didn't have the white flour, the white sugar. They didn't have the processed, the canned stuff. They didn't have none of that stuff. And they didn't even destroy the land. And when the settlers start growing produce here in the United States, in America, and sending pictures of this stuff because the soil was not depleted, they didn't believe in plowing. The plowing came with the settlers. Mm -hmm. And things were in huge abundance. Until they start overworking the land and not respecting the land because the Indians and most tribal people, they had, they connected to earth and they knew how to respect it because they knew what it was going to give them back. And we don't have that here. Well, they weren't living just for money. They weren't living just for personal monetary gain. It wasn't about a bunch of materialism. They had a more spiritual culture and they lived close to the land. Uh, Most indigenous people everywhere, that's, that's how they lived. Um, and many still do. Uh, those that have become westernized, and unfortunately most of the world has, but if you stop and think about this, you know, we're, we're speaking English to each other tonight, yet we're not from England. You know, it, it yes. is the colonial language of the, the really the invaders and of, of this North American continent that we're, we're living on. Um, a lot of the world speaks English now. England's not that big. How did that happen? You have to look back through history and study some of that, and it'll also open your eyes up to other things. You know, but right. you have to sometimes extend our horizons outside of our realm of comfort to understand how we've all been tricked. But how this relates to food, the further you get from nature, the more your health is going to decline. Correct. It's it's real simple. It, it, it's it's mm-hmm. really that simple. We didn't have these big factory farms until after World War II, and the mechanization began with you know with the advent of tractors. Because before that, everything was with horses and mules or human power. You couldn't do but so much. You couldn't have 500 acres to too many people. Well, unless you had slaves, and then you could. Or you enslaved people. You made slaves. With the advent of the mechanization that the tractor bought and the combines and the big tillers and all of that, farmers were then able to do larger parcels of land. Well, then their expenses increased. 
they have to make more money to regroup that. Then you're going to put the preservatives in the food, make the food last longer. It's it's all based on wanting and needing more money, more money, more money, 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 money. to pay for yeah. things. Yeah. So and that's why we advocate. Really think about simplifying your life, and you know, there's there's nothing that says you can't live close to the land and live a, a peaceful, quiet life. You know, and it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you don't have to have a TV or a stereo because some of our people are like, well, you know, what will I do in my spare time? You'd be surprised. <laughs> we're never bored here. We're never bored no. here. You know, we have music. You know, we we have a TV too. And laptops and all, you know, <laughs> you can have all of those things and still be freer. But we right. don't have the mindset to live in a concentrated camp. And for me, the my acronym for cities is concentrated in tiny yards. And I, I hate to see that. I mean, we went to mm-hmm. a dinner, you know, in Richmond the other night for Friday evening for um, a, a young black um, female who wrote a book about farming. And driving into the city, we're seeing all of these tail lights and headlights on the highway, and we're like, "Wow, you know, I'll be so glad to get back home because I don't miss any of this." <laughs> and I just wonder why people think this is so attractive. You know, it's nothing but people doing 60, 70 miles an hour, zoom, 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 concrete and steel everywhere. No, everybody's in a hurry. Everybody's spending money. Everybody's polluting the air. We're not taking time to take a deep breath and understand that this planet, you know. It needs to be treated better if we're going to leave it better for the grandbabies that are coming, you know? So you can step out on your porch and see the stars. You can actually see the stars outside. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We see the Milky Way and all that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. That's beautiful. It it is, and and it's also very humbling, you know? It's, It's also very humbling because we don't hear much noise. Um, but it, it's, it also gives you that quiet space to, to hear God talk to you mm. because oftentimes when yeah. you're surrounded by noise, you can't get that. You don't hear very well. And the quiet space closer to nature, you can receive a lot. It's a gift. And, and I wish that more of our people would, would seek that gift and let a lot of the noise go. Are, and look at what the children are all – it's rare to see one of our youth without earbuds. I was noticing this <gasps> when I was in the city. They're always listening yep. to some noise. Mm-hmm. They're either looking and down or they're listening to some noise all the time. And a lot of – I believe there's some negative lessons in this music. It is. It is. It is. It is. And not only that, you can't even go to the gas station to pump your gas because they got a, a TV or music or something going on there. You're in the grocery That's store. Right. They got music and everything else going. So you're bombarded. It's kind of like it's taking away your peace. It's taking away your peace you said, and that quietness that you would normally want. Okay. That's the nature deficit that I'm speaking of. Exactly. You were destroying all of that. So there are children who yeah. have never heard silence who have never wow. heard nature, who have never been out in a quiet space. They, you know, they live in a neighborhood that's constantly filled with noise and sounds 24-7. They were born in a hospital. Somebody slapped them on the butt. They came into life screaming. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, then we wonder, you know, they're, they're surrounded by all of this noise and anguish and, you know. And, and, and so many of our kids are, are depressed. And a lot of these kids yes. are depressed. 
they on ADHD medication, they on all kinds of medication. So it's not giving them their peace. You know, I was telling my daughter last night, um, the light was flickering, like the, the, the like the generator, the lights were going off, it was all black throughout the our area. And I'm like, okay, the lights are going off. Then this afternoon, I'm looking at three helicopters flying in formation, just constantly just flying over our our area. And I'm like, why are they doing that? And it was three of them, and they were flying really, really low. And I'm like, oh. I said, I don't like that. <laughs> I told my, she said, Mom, you're getting the, the alarmist or something. But I'm like, that don't look good. Why is three of them? Normally, if there's an accident, you see one just flying around looking over the, the interstate or the highway. But it was three of them just, just flying oh. around in formation, mm-hmm. around in formation. There's a lot of things to question around us. But, you know, since we're largely concentrated in uh, population areas that are, are, are well-known, well-defined, you know, we know about the effects of redlining, but we also know that whatever city you live in, you've you got a black section of town. you got yeah. black neighborhoods. You know, yeah. some are poor, some are middle class, some may be wealthy, but there's still segregation on board. Yes. Okay. Yes. You know, there's a lot of questions around us all. Even in the country, I sometimes see helicopters, but it's not very frequently. But sometimes they're the National Guard. They're flying over. You know, sometimes, you know, there's all kinds of maneuvers that the government may be involved in. But, you know, our position is that not so much from an alarmist position, but from a position of wisdom. You know, and I think that the wisdom of our ancestors speaks through me and says, we want you to live close to the land as you're supposed to do. And I'm just following that message. And it's, it's okay. certainly has been much better for my nerves. <laughs> it's much better for my nerves. I can tell you that. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, we're going to take another break and we're going to be right back. I do appreciate you guys. So um, we'll, you're on the D hour network and this is Marsha Patterson. Thank you.
Our network. This is Marsha Patterson for your help, and we have Mr. and Mrs. Turner on from their Van Gogh Ranch, giving us some information and insight about being farmers, being black farmers, and encouraging others to go back to the land. Mr. Turner, how can what can I do uh, with my station or my workshop to try to reach the next generation of young men to to awaken them to come back and young women? That's an excellent question. Uh, wow. I, I wish I had an easy answer for you because I've been wrestling with this. We've been wrestling with it for some time. Um, it, it's, it's not easily answered. Um, but to be encouraging, I, I would say, we have to engage them some way to actually physically have contact with the land. That's a problem. Um, mm-hmm. they don't see any farmers. So I would find some local farmers, that's some farmers of color. Find out who's doing growing anything near you and, and engage them and support them because, you see, that's also a problem for us farmers. We don't get much support from our community. Um, it's not like, you know, wh- wherever you live, I can tell you this for certain. There's Mexican and Chinese restaurants. There's Asian food stores. Yes. The 7-Elevens that's run by people from the Middle East, they support each other. Mm -hmm. The black farming community doesn't have that same support. And and actually, the black community in general doesn't have that same support. We will shop at everybody else's store before we shop at our own. And -hmm. that is a problem for us. So to, to address this problem with our youth is very complex. They need to be able to see successful examples of black farmers 
And then we have to somehow get them to visit those farms or the farmer to visit them and to em- encourage them to embrace agriculture as a vocation. That's not being done. But, you know, there's reasons for that because vocational agriculture, I got my start in the Future Farmers of America in California. California is the largest agricultural state in this nation. In my high school years, I went to a school in California that had agricultural science and engineering. I took those classes every day, and I excelled in them. But when we left there and we went back to other parts, other places to live, those programs were not available. You know, I also attended, like, inner-city black schools in South Philadelphia. Nothing mm-hmm. was in that school compared to what I was getting in California. So there are reasons for that, and our youth are not getting the introduction to agriculture as a vocation. So to answer your question, we have to find some way to put some black faces of farmers in front of our young men and women so they can see that this is a viable way to live and make a and earn a respectable living and also gain a freedom that you're not going to have because I'll grant you that most of us go to a job Monday through Friday, live in apartments, you have the weekend mm-hmm. off to decompress or unwind. Most of us just sit on our behinds and watch TV and eat chips and whatever. But that's not life. Right. So you right. do that for 40 or right. 60, you're totally disconnected. But your whole life, you're just being used up by the system, totally used up by the system, and the real big players behind it are laughing all the way to the bank because you're giving them money for everything. You know, I mean, wow. the, the space you live in, somebody else owns it. The car that you drive mm-hmm. to work, you're paying on it. The gas that you put in that car, somebody else owns that. Then you go to that office mm-hmm. and you work and you work and you work. And then when you get off, you go to the store, and you pay for your food, and you buy everything, and you don't control any of that. You're spending all the time. Mm-hmm. And you're not paying yourself anything back. It's a bad cycle. You know, so you, are, are I you, share, you have to, yes, go ahead. I got to share this story with you because you just reminded me. I had a store in Noonan, Georgia, um, where for yesterday's kitchen for today, and my postman would come in, and he would – I would educate him about my business, what I'm doing, growing your own food. He saw my heirloom catalog, buying some seeds. And he said, you know, I'm going to have to send my brother and my pastor in here. And they did. They came in. And his brother, I think he was in his mid-30s, had just came out of, he just came out of the correctional system. So he had just got out of jail. And we're mm-hmm. talking, and he was asking me, did I have? was I'm able to hire anybody. I said, well, right now I'm solo. I can't afford to be hiring nobody. I'm just me right now opening right. a store. So as we having a conversation back and forth, he's telling me he's staying with his uncle, and his uncle has three acres of land. Wow. And he said okay. they have chickens on the land. I said, mm-hmm. then why are you looking? And I said, well, why are you looking for a job? If you, with your uncle on three acres of land, you got chickens. And he sat there right. looking at me. He go, I don't understand. I said, you got a job. That's the problem. You can create your own job. You don't have to go to nobody. Why are you looking for a job when your uncle gave you some chicken? Wait a minute. Let me tell you this. He said, oh, my God. And I'm explaining to him organic chicken, be to the farmer's market, sell the chicken, sell the eggs. He said, oh, my God. Let me tell you what he told me. He said, we had 18 chickens. I had a neighbor come through 
there and ex- exchange a riding lawnmower for three chickens. And I said, you gave him three chickens for riding lawnmower? He said, yeah, I thought I was getting over. I said, oh, okay, really? I said, he got eggs. You got yeah. an old riding lawnmower for three chickens. And I said, you don't have to, when you, by you having a record, you don't have to answer to nobody where you were felling or you were felony or whatever. You ain't even got to fill that application out. You got a job. Your uncle gave you one. That's right. He couldn't believe it. He sat that. there with his eyes looking at me like he had, he said, I don't know if to hug you or to kiss you. I said, you can just give me a hug. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, well, that's, yeah. that was crazy. Because, like you we said, don't, we, don't we don't see. see that. Yeah. We don't see yeah. agriculture as a vocation. But, you know, I, I can tell you that, you know, in our area, uh, a dozen organic eggs that were free range would sell in the year for 4 to $5 a dozen. Yeah, if you were to keep a flock in, in of, Georgia, you know, 100 hens, how much? $10? Mm-hmm. $10. In some areas, oh, $10. How far are you from Atlanta? How far are you from Atlanta? I am in Atlanta. I am in Atlanta. Okay. I'm going to pass on your information to a fellow black farmer that's not far from there, who we talk every week. I know he raises goats. They raise cattle. They raise a few other things, but we talk frequently. I'm going to put him in touch with you. Um, Perfect. Because, and, and I know some other people there, some other black farmers in the Atlanta area that are organic. Okay. And they're raising everything okay. from they're raising sheep, they're raising cattle, they're raising produce. I will, I will share some information with you. I came down there a few years ago, and we did mm-hmm. um, a Black Agricultural Survival Expo. I don't know if you heard oh, about that wow. or not. Oh, wow. We got to do that again. We got to do that again. Well, I, they do it there again. They had invited me down to speak, and I made a presentation there well, probably three, four years ago now, I think. But okay. I'll, I'll connect you with some people in that area. And that's that, great that, that, because that, that when I do work. I'm going to tell you why I need that, because when I do a workshop on canning, and I'm educating mm-hmm. him about organic. I said, look, I want you to find the farmers that you can get bushel baskets. I don't want you to go to the store and buy a bag or nothing. We want to educate okay. the next generation to can and put that stuff away. It's in season. Get it from Farmer Joe. Get a bushel basket. If you can't use the whole bushel, share it with someone at your church, the lady next door. We have to go back there and put our minds back there to do that. Yes. Uh, if we want to survive. And it's getting it's I mean the writing is on the wall right now without being alarmist about this, but it just makes more sense yes. to have a pantry with, with your food that yes. that's canned. Grandma had it right. I mean, these yes. skills that our grandmothers had were so valuable. But now yes. one of the biggest disservices that's been done to modern man and women is that we have brought into this lie that convenience is best. Whatever it is, it just has to be convenient. Now, even if they put food in a can, they make a can opener that you just push a button so it'll just zip around the top <laughs> because it's you know too much work to crank that handle and open it yourself. But I'm sure you remember mm-hmm. the old ones that you have to puncture oh. and, and rip your way Hello. around. We still have one. Yeah, I, still have no. I still have levels, yes. <laughs> They've got them that are battery-operated. They're battery-operated yeah. now. You just push the button and it zips around it and mm-hmm. – 
you know, mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. the lie of convenience has made us so helpless. We yeah. just and yeah. we really couldn't survive. People will hit the streets before they'll hit the garden. Yeah, that's a perfect example. I, I, but I could do this math and say, you know, if you had a hundred hens, you know, the hens, you know, they're not going to lay an egg every day, but they are going to lay maybe five eggs in seven days. So that means that if you had a hundred, you know, hens, and every week, you're not, you're going to get close to what twelve times ten is one hundred and twenty. Mm-hmm. You get at least eight dozen mm-hmm. eggs. You know, but if you're selling them for and what love ten it. bucks. Well, if you sell them for ten bucks a, a dozen, yeah, eight. My wife just said they're eight. Okay, you know that was years ago when mom was here. My mom was here, and we were. She had a hen of Dominickers because grandpa had them, and we had a flock of Dominickers. And I know we were selling them for four bucks a dozen then, but that was years ago. Now that's correct because she's been gone from here for years, living in Texas now. But um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean eggs, and it's a renewable resource. I mean. <laughs> You keep mm-hmm. a rooster, you can make your own hens too. Mm-hmm. Yes. So once you get yes. started, yes. You, can, you can certainly sustain that and uh, make you some money. The same thing. Yes. You know, it's like look at the economy of uh, tomatoes. We grow organic tomatoes. So if a bag, if a, uh, bag of seeds might cost us, say, two bucks, $1.95, two bucks. Mm-hmm. Maybe 80 seeds, 100 seeds. Mm-hmm. But if you get 20 mm-hmm. pounds of tomatoes, one, I've never got a ton of tomatoes, and and my investment was two bucks. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, because I mean, probably yes. I've got the land and stuff. See? But you know, for t- two dollars, well, you know, you're going to pay almost that for two tomatoes, yeah. or more. Yeah. Actually. For well, a big one, you pay more than that. Well, we so the economy. To the end of the sh- I want to I want to get your information because you sell goat meat. Is, do you sell goat meat? Correct. We do. We raise meat goats. I've got a very specialized uh, heirloom breed of goats that we raise. We are a value-added producer, so I not just raise the goats. I breed them, and I'm starting a, my own strain. But we also have a food truck, so we actually cook them and serve them to people um, as a goat burger or curry goat or goat kebab as a business. So we retain most of our product for in-home use as a business. That model is much and better get- for, for our bottom line. Okay, so give people that information in case they're interested in getting some of this goat sure. meat from you or getting some of this information. Uh, so I want yeah. them to be able to reach you and you and your wife so they can get a hold of this meat. Okay, well, our, our email is easy to remember. It's vanguardranch at gmail.com. That's V-A-N-G-U-A-R-D-R-A-N-C-H at gmail.com. We're easy to find on Facebook, Vanguard Ranch Natural Gourmet, and also as Vanguard Ranch Meat Goats. And if you hit us up there, I'll send you some information back, and we'll be happy to share. And we do have those links. Okay, oh, go ahead. Yeah. What's your book? Yeah, yes. your book. The book, yeah, I've been working on this for five years, and I'm, I'm just made a concerted effort to uh, – I'm really going to work hard in 2019 because I want it to I, – I, I'm feeling a sense of urgency with the things that are happening around us and mm-hmm. indicators that I'm – around the world. You know, I, I see that these major Western nations are, are all in turmoil, 
you know, all of this talk about immigration and building walls and declining yeah. values. It's not mm-hmm. a pretty picture. No, it's not. The real, the real problem here for our people is we have been hoodwinked and bamboozled, and we have become so complacent that we no longer want to be responsible for our own well-being. That is yes. a crime. Our children right. are suffering. Our future yes. is suffering. The only yes. thing that's thriving is the penal institutions who are filling up with our youth. Mm-hmm. And that's also by You're right. That's a business. It's a business. Correct. If people really understood the truth and really started to dig, they will find out that it's not a very pretty picture. So I implore all of them, all of us to begin to look at ways to become more self-sufficient. Ask yourself very seriously, how long could you survive if the lights went out tomorrow? Do you have enough food to feed your family? Will your babies go hungry? For those of you with babies in diapers, what would you do? Because they're all hooked on all this paper stuff. Didn't used to be that mm-hmm. way. People nope. knew how to take care of business. You yeah. know, but now yeah. we spend more money. You know, I, I've said this before, and I sometimes get some flack for it. But some of our women spend more money on fake nails and fake hair when they should be spending <laughs> their money on real goods and services for their children. Amen. I don't care how cute cute you are. If you can't make a biscuit, some whole grain, and can't help me in the garden, (laughs) I got no use for you. (laughs) Well, you know what? We got just a few minutes left of the show. I want to take the time to say thank you. We want to have you. I would love to have you back. We want to educate because I want to team up with you to get this message out to our our youth. Um, I always tell people I'm the grandma of yesterday, pulling in the next generation to teach what our grandparents taught us. And it's, That's it's, great. I, too, feel the urgency in my spirit to really reach our kids and to teach what we need to share, what you're doing, what I'm doing, and connect us to these farmers that have the food so we can make sure we can teach our young people how to grow them in there, wherever they are. And the farmers their need their connection, too. Yeah, the farmers also oh, need yeah. the support from our, our collective community, so it's a win-win situation. Yeah. But you know, in in the, in the larger frame of things, we really have to begin to question how long we're going to continue to be pawns in this system where we have no control. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I mean, yeah. That, yeah. That we have to yeah. really we have to check that. Yeah, you're right. Or else somebody well, else is going to change it for us. Oh, they're already doing that. But, you know, we got to wake up. And like I said, that closed pod information, I, you know, yep. I share that anytime I do a workshop, look, you know, looking at what happened to Katrina, the other situation, President Trump is re- yep. going to take the money from the uh, from the fire, helping those people who lost their homes in California from the fire to build the wall. So, you know, yes, we have yeah. to learn how to take care of ourselves. And we have to do that with each other. Yes, and and unfortunately when you live in areas where the population is so concentrated that there's not enough resources to go around. Correct. It creates Correct. And it most does. of our it people does. live in, under those circumstances. Everyone is going to be exactly. scrambling for whatever they can get to survive for their own immediate family, but you know, eh, yeah, it's it is what it is. Yeah. 
All right, I want to thank you guys for being on the show. We're down to about two minutes left for the show. I just want to remind our listening audience that we're here every Sunday at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. Next week, we'll have Dr. Lester L. Carter. He's the first African-American pharmacist in Milwaukee. He's an herbalist. He still do things the old way. He's in his mid-80s. Wonderful man. Have educate us about how we can use herbs to help heal our body. So that's what we'll have next Sunday. Perfect. We do And he will take your call from anywhere, anytime to talk with you about your health, to educate you what herbs can heal your body. He is such a wonderful person. So this is what we want to do, bring those resources of information that empowers us to make us better, not just for us, but for our community as a whole. All right, you guys have a blessed week. Make it safe. And um, take care. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, thank you, thank you.